we're looking at the whole Bible in terms of how it fits together, not verse by verse, but big, broad strokes. We're taking a step back so that we can, we tend to look at the, 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 the trees in the forest. We're stepping back now to have a look at the forest with reference to um, the trees in a, in a little bit more of a broader sense. And <clears throat> um, if, 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 you, if, if, if you're interested in kind of hearing some of the backstory, because we're about six or seven weeks in now, you'll have to go to our BBC iPlayer version um, to listen to the previous episodes, right? On, um, you can do that on sermon.net. Just type in Ecclesia and, even, and one of our names. <clears throat> now, we are today in... Uh, is that kind of... Oh, is it still giving trouble? Oh, dear. <laughs> All right, we'll keep, it, we'll, keep, we'll keep it moving. We today are going to be in the book of Joshua. Is it going to come up there? Joshua. And um, before we jump in, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had someone make you a promise and them not keep it? Yeah? You're like, Yeah. Boy, I, I do remember. <laughs> like 10 years ago, yeah, but I remember. All right, well, have you ever made a promise <laughs> and not kept it? Hmm. <laughs> now, today we're going to see the faithful fulfillment, the keeping of a promise made by God to his people. How many of you know God is not like us? He's not like us. And so, let me take a minute to pray. As we get ready to jump in, Father, thank you <clears throat> that we get in you the perfect example, the perfect picture of perfection. And as we look at you, Father, one of the things we tend to do is um, we recognize just how far we fall short of who you are. Yet, as we heard this morning, you make a commitment to draw near to us. When I hear about your perfection, it tends to cause me to draw back, shrink back, and, and hide in the shadows in a corner. Yet, we're so grateful because, in a sense, what you did was you came down from heaven, literally, in the person of Jesus, and you came looking for us, even in those dark corners, and you came and you found some of us. And we want to say we're so grateful and thankful that you did. And <clears throat> Lord, help us today to see that even though, Lord, people may break their promises to us, and Lord, we break, break our promises to others, thank you that um, we're going to see that you never break your promises. You're faithful to keep your promises. You're not a man that you should lie. And so encourage our hearts, I pray, with reference to that today, in the name of the Lord Jesus. And for his sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor E, for that. <clears throat> so the title of this book immediately points us away from the main character <laughs> that is of the book to the ultimate character of the book. What I mean by this is that the Yoshua of this small 24 chapter book points to the Yeshua of the bigger book of the Bible. Now, Yeshua is the Hebrew name. I apologize for just the color on the screen. Yosh, Yeshua is the Hebrew name, right, um, for Joshua. And it's English, oh, and it's English, you have to look at this one. And it's English spelling is Joshua. Now, the, the Greek 
it's a bit complicated. The Greek transliteration of the Hebrew name, um, which is Iesus, right? And its English spelling, it's gone again, is what? Jesus. Thank you. Jesus. Thus the names Joshua and Jesus are essentially the same. The authorized King James Version of the Bible actually um, helpfully translates the word Joshua as Jesus. If you look at Acts chapter 7 verse 45 and Hebrews 4 verse 8. Jesus is Joshua. And this begins to give us a clue as to who this book is really all about. Now, how many of you know what Joshua actually means? Apart from its different derivations in different languages. Oh dear, I've got some real problems this morning. Um, thank you. Joshua means God is salvation or Yahweh saves. Now, previously in our series, um, do you remember how we summarized the whole Bible in four words? It's kind of like our basic timeline of the whole Bible. We started with creation fall, redemption, and then recreation. That is pretty much the summary of the whole Bible in four words. <clears throat> creation, we did that, Genesis 1 and 2. We talked a bit about Adam and Eve because as the pinnacle of God's creation. And then just as soon as they come on the scene and everything is wonderful, things go to pot and they fall. Genesis chapter 3, within two chapters, within three chapters, they end up messing everything up. And God judges, right? But at the same time, he also makes this wonderful promise of good news in the middle of chapter three. Literally as they fall and as, as they mess things up, immediately in verse 15, God gives them a promise, doesn't he? And there begins the story of redemption, which is pretty much most of our Bible. And in Genesis 3.15, he promises that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Um, he will be the savior. And right from Genesis 3.15, there's this anticipation, it's looking for this particular individual who's gonna come and who's gonna save. Then we see God pick a man called Abraham, Abram, become Abraham, and he gives him a promise with reference to Genesis 3.15, um, which we'll come back to in a moment. Abraham has Isaac, who has Jacob. Um, Jacob has 12 sons. They end up going into, into Egypt. Joseph becomes really prominent, and everything is wonderful. <laughs> like there's nearly one million of them in, in Egypt. Then all of a sudden, here comes a pharaoh that does not know Joseph, and things get horribly worse. This big, massive, this small family that becomes a massive family, becomes a nation, ends up becoming slaves. The Lord graciously sends Moses, who delivers the people, hence the book of Exodus, then Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which is a summary of kind of where we've been. Now, something I want us to look at really quickly, or kind of like briefly, as we think about just the story and the trajectory of the story, as you can see where we are in, in, in that redemption area, <clears throat> I want to just mention really briefly this issue of covenants. Wow, my drama today. Covenants, <laughs> and it would have been helpful if it came up on the screen actually, but maybe you guys can see this one here. Now, <clears throat> a few covenants have been made since Genesis. The first one was the Adamic covenant, then there was the Noahic covenant God made with Noah, then the Abrahamic covenant God made with Abraham, and <clears throat> I can't go into all of them because 
it will probably take up half of my time. But just to highlight the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3, there are three things that God promises. And the three things that he promises are, one, blessing, two, descendants, which is a part of, I suppose, the blessing, but specifically descendants that are going to be like the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore, like so much you can't count them. And then three is this promise of the land, right? Um, and this land is Canaan, and it's called the promised land. And these three things God promises to Abraham in a covenant that he himself is committed to keeping apart from even Abraham. It's what they call a, a unilateral covenant as opposed to a bilateral where both parties have to make commitments. God makes this unilateral commitment, this covenant with Abraham that God will keep even if it kills him. And as many of us know, it did, right? And the sign of that covenant was circumcision. Now, <clears throat> circumcision. One of the things that is very confusing for many is this issue of discontinuity and continuity with reference to the Old and the New Testament. So many people look at the Bible and they're like, oh, the Bible's so contradictory. You know what I'm saying? In one place, the Bible says, you mustn't eat shellfish, you mustn't eat pork. And then, you know what I'm saying? And then the next minute, you know what I'm saying? You, you are allowed to eat it. It's so confusing. Well, if you don't understand the covenants and the dif different epochs, it will come across as confusing. But one of the things that helps is this issue of discontinuity and continuity. So um, discontinuity, that is things that seem to be um, really important at a particular point, but then discontinue to be valid. Or things that continue because they start at a certain point, but they also continue. So an example would be circumcision, right? Circumcision was literal for Abraham <laughs> and his descendants, you know what I'm saying, um, for a long period of time. But <clears throat> how many of you know circumcision isn't literal anymore with reference to us having to obey that? Amen, said all of the men. Amen? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, now, also, the land. This commitment that God makes, this promise that God makes to Abraham with reference to the land, also has an element of continuity, but also discontinuity. Because many people are looking for um, a temple to be built in Israel and like stuff to happen in terms of fulfillment of prophecy and focus on that only when there's a discontinuity with reference to the land because the land is particularly a picture of where? Heaven. There's an earthly Jerusalem, but then there's a heavenly Jerusalem. So there's a, there's a discontinuity, you know what I'm saying? Also, <clears throat> now, continuity, you've got the blessing upon the nations. God promises Abraham he's going to be, God is going to bless the nations through Abraham, and he does that literally. But how many of you know he continues to do that, but not necessarily in the same way that he blessed Abraham, but also in the same way that he blessed Abraham. And through Abraham, the nations would be blessed. So in the Old Testament, we see this, this, this promise of blessing on Abraham's offspring, but we still continue to see that go through into the New Testament. But God's people are, not, are now not just Israel, that is natural, biological Israel, but God's spiritual Israel, I mean, hopefully, you know what I'm saying, those of you that have put your trust in Christ, Galatians 3, you now become grafted into that tree and you now become Israel. 
You understand what I'm saying? So there's this continuity and this discontinuity. And I just mentioned that because we're going to come back to it. So then after the Abrahamic covenant, you've got the Mosaic covenant. And again, there's much that could be said. Now, some of the covenants can be quite complicated, but <clears throat> just bear in mind this continuity and the dis dis discontinuity issue because it answers a lot of the questions like tattoos. You know what I'm saying? Oh, the Bible says you can't have a tattoo. Yeah, but there's a discontinuity. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, shellfish and pork. Oh, you can't eat that. If you remember back in Genesis when God created the world, people weren't eating meat. It was just vegetables. And then after Noah and the flood, then there's, then there's the introduction of, of me eating meat. You know what I'm saying? And then, so, and, 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 and then you have later on in Israel's history, there's certain foods that they can't eat, like pork, like shellfish. And there's a reason for that. Part of the, part of the reason, this is not the, the complete explanation, but part of the reason is they're in the wilderness. Guess what the temperature's like in the wilderness? There's no refrigeration. Two of the types of meat that will kill you if they're not, if they're not um, refrigerated and, and looked after and prepared properly is pork. And shellfish, they will give you trigonosis and botulism. They will kill you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So God knew about microbiology, right? Way back then. He never described it completely. Just said, don't eat that stuff. So I'm just saying, that's part of the rationale. There's a, there are good explanations for much of what we see. And someone said, if you really look carefully at what seems like a contradiction and a complicated issue, it actually, it actually gives incredible clarity once you understand... <clears throat> The, the dichotomy. Now, hopefully that's helpful. Um, <clears throat> now, all of these covenants, they continue in parallel, and we're going to come back to them in a moment. <clears throat> this is very significant as now as we, as we come to the book of Joshua. Up to this point, as we considered in our last session, God's people are on the move. Abraham as I said, um, moving from the point where he was to the point where they are now, it's amazing. They're in the wilderness, and this wilderness wandering, how many of you know it's a horrible place, but it's a wonderful place? That is if you realize that it's a place of transition. And hopefully that should immediately help some of us who find ourselves in a place where we're like, Lord, like, what is going on? You know what I mean? We may not say that, but we do think it. You know what I mean? But you're like in a place in your life, like, Lord, what, where, like, like, what's going on in my life right now? Amen. Well, knowing that sometimes you go through, you go through you, periods of transition, you know what I'm saying, should help you. Because I, as much as I'm going through a madness right now, you know what I mean? I don't think it can compare to being in the wilderness. You know what I'm saying? And what does that mean? Does that minimize my difficulty and my challenge? No, it doesn't. But what it does is it just helps me to realize that there's nothing new under the sun. And every day ain't going to be springtime in harvest and, you know what I'm saying, on the mountaintop. No. You know what I'm saying? Amen, my brother. All right. That's, that's a man I know who's had some experiences. You know what I mean? And, but God is faithful. And... And the thing is this, how long should it have taken them that is to transition through this particular place, the wilderness? Anybody know? On this journey? Six days, somebody says. Ele Eleven days. Well, it, one of the things we know is it shouldn't have been 40 years. Right? <laughs> but you're absolutely right. Deuteronomy 1 verse 2 says it takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. <clears throat> Yet they've been wandering 
for, 40, for four decades. And the thing is, they began so well, but then they started grumbling. Do you remember? And this was, this, was, this was in year one, literally. It was 10 weeks after the exodus out of Egypt. Just 10 weeks later, they already begin to grumble. Exodus 16 says, in the desert, the whole community grumbled. Not even one or two of them, you know. The whole com- and they grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. Oy. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Ain't it funny how just not having, the f- the, not, not even the, um, the, the amount of food you need, because they did, but having the food that they wanted, Right? Just not having the food that they wanted caused them to say, we would rather be dead. Doesn't that sound a bit extreme? But then can't we sometimes be a bit extreme when we're confronted with circumstances and we go right off the rooftops? And I'm saying, like, oh my gosh, like my whole life is coming to an end, right? (laughs) You see, and, and we do that for the same reason they did it. We forget God's promises. And this is what, they, they had forgotten the promise. Now Moses hadn't, and obviously God hadn't. Uh, but this is what happens when you lose sight of the bigger picture. Now, you know, now, now, it's like, don't lose the plot, like literally. That is the plot of the Bible. Because if, you, if we begin to think in terms of, well, my life, which is really, if I'm lucky, 60, 70 years, you know what I mean? If, it's, if I begin to think, well, things ought to be going the way that I desire, I'm not thinking about the big, 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 the much, much bigger and broader picture. Amen. Now, we can do that in marriage. You know what I'm saying? When you get married, like you've got this, you, you, hopefully, if, especially if you're here, we try and do some marriage counseling, innit? We hope that you get the big picture when it comes to marriage. But sometimes within a week or two or six months, <laughs> I should have said within a year or two, but sometimes it's a week or sometimes on the honeymoon, we're like. <laughs> but we lose sight of the bigger picture, don't we? We lose sight of the bigger picture. And, and you might, maybe even as a Christian, you became a Christian and you had these kind of grand plans and desires for your life. You thought, wow, and I'm saying I'm a Christian now. Things are going to be amazing. And they are. But they're amazingly difficult <laughs> sometimes as a believer. And, and we get frustrated and we begin to do what they did. You know what I'm saying? We grumble when we, don't, when we lose sight of the big picture. Now, God's people, if you check it, are actually on the brink of inheriting this incredible promise that God made to Abraham. They're on the brink, but they can't see it. They can't see it. They've become a great nation, which is a part of the promise in Genesis 3, Genesis 12. They're blessed because they've been delivered from Egypt. You know what I'm saying? And now they're about to inherit the land. And they're moaning and groaning and complaining. And the thing is, really, what this shows us is that they're not actually, they're not actually, they're not actually ready for a battle. You see, in order for them to possess the land, they're going to have to fight. But what this shows us is that they're not ready. <laughs> the time has come for them to go to war, but Israel are in no fit shape for battle. That, you know what I'm saying? It's like they, they go, ain't got their head in the game. And in Numbers 13, they send out the scouts, right, to spy out the land. 
And the land is as just as it was promised. It's flowing with milk and honey. <coughs> but there are also giants in the land, right? And 10 out of the 12 scouts, um, they come back and they give this majority evil verdict. And then two of the scouts, Caleb and our boy Joshua, they have a, a positive yet a minority report, right? Now, despite God's show of incredible power just a little while ago, remember at, back in Egypt and the plagues? Like, power. Like, and, then, and then the splitting of the Red Sea, oh my gosh. But they've forgotten about that. And the people, they choose not to trust God. That's one thing <clears throat> to be let down by someone who doesn't keep their promise. Like I said, it might be in marriage. You might have a spouse that has not kept their promise to you. You know what I'm saying? Your parents, um, like, your, like your dad may not have kept his, pro I say his promises to you. You know what I'm saying? It, maybe, he, maybe, maybe he didn't even make any promises to you as he ought to have as a dad. You know what I mean? But even if he did, you know, I'm going to come and visit you. Mom and dad break up. I remember my, my dad constantly saying, I'm going to come and visit you at a certain time, on a certain day. Nothing would make me more excited. You know what I mean? I think I can count on one hand the amount of times I saw my dad. You know what I mean? The amount of times he let me down. The amount of times he let us down. You just get to a point where you just say, Chuck, I ain't going to look to you to, to fulfill no promises because I looked at your track record. Uh, uh, you know what I'm saying? And the Bible says, um, help me someone, what is it that makes the heart sick? Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's one of the reasons I don't play the lottery. Hope deferred... <laughs> Imagine, imagine, 50, imagine 52 weeks of the year, you know what I'm saying, and, and you'd play in the lottery for 10 years, that's 10 times five, 50, how much is that? 500 times your heart is getting sick, no man, your heart will be really sick by the end of that. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I stopped, stopped putting my trust in my dad when I see that because my heart was getting sick and thankfully God became my father and, and up until now he hasn't let me down. Amen? And I'm sure that's your testimony. You might have a mother that's let you down. It's, 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 it's rarer that a mama let her, a, a child down. You know what I mean? Because mums are given to their kids in ways that are inexplicable. inexplicable. Um, but yet, these people can tend to let us down. Mothers, fathers, spouses. You might have a, girl, a girlfriend or a boyfriend that you met and you've been tracking and you're feeling like, yeah, this is going somewhere two Tuesdays, just three months before the wedding, they dump you. I'm like... You see, <clears throat> but then what happens is sometimes we unfairly levy the same type of charge against God. Do you feel that that God has let you down? See, but if we do, is 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 that based on a fair assessment? Are you clearly seeing the big picture? See, the children of Israel. They begin to judge God unfairly. Now, it's one thing to judge God. James, in his epistle, says, don't do it. He says, who are we to stand in judgment of God? See, God is actually the judge. And here he does exactly that. And God judges the people by declaring all of that whole generation will die apart from two men. That's Caleb and Joshua. They're the only ones that survive. Everyone else in that whole generation ends up dying. Even Moses, who had been so faithful for so many years, ended up dying on the brink 
of the promised land. Literally, God took him. The Lord is good in the sense that Moses, you're coming home, innit? <laughs> I'm going to give you a chance to have a look. And he has a look at the land. But that's all. He doesn't make it in, right? Right at the last hurdle. They all died, and they died at an approximate rate of 50,000 people per year, which is 4,000 people per month, which is about 140 people per day. Imagine 140 funerals per day. Now, can you hear the echo back from, Ro from Genesis 5, goes back to Romans 5, the implementation of this curse of death? And, you know, I think it was, it, was it just a few days ago, Ego, is it Hugo, eh, how do you pronounce his name? Etiog. Etiog. You know what I'm saying? He died. He was the... He was the Tottenham under-21 football trainer, played for, I think, West Ham, played for a number of teams, played for England, and um, he died a couple of days ago. Um, I don't know if any of you remember, but a year ago, last weekend, our sister Funke passed away. Um, and thank you for praying for me. This Friday is my cousin's funeral that you heard me mention a couple of weeks ago. And... Um, the reality is that we all have an appointment, as, 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 as horrendous it is, and we, we all have an appointment with death. Amen. You know what I mean? And, 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 and getting back to our story, the only two from the generation that came out of Egypt who survived, who ultimately will go on to die eventually, you know what I'm saying, are Joshua and Caleb, along with the children of the unfaithful generation that passed away. So not everyone's dead because those who died had children and they're still alive. They call them the Joshua, the Joshua generation, right? Um, so Israel are God's people, right? And although God is with them, they are in God's place temporarily, the wilderness, yet they're not technically in God's place, the promised land as yet, but they're close. 40 years later, they are days closer do you remember they had received the law back in Exodus 20 and they'd failed to keep it faithfully and now they've been experiencing the repercussions of that covenant. Now, lest we make fun of these Israelites or misunderstand the challenge, how I many of you know it's all relative? 1 Corinthians 10 is, has a really stern warning for us. Paul says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. That's the Red Sea, right? They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. That rock was Christ. Can't say much about that now. Verse 5, Nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Now that is much more deep, deeper than what it sounds like. <laughs> Verse 8, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. Verse 9 goes on to say, we should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did. Now you might be like, okay, sexual immorality, I understand. <laughs> that's, that's, that's heavy stuff, but oh, grumbling. <laughs> hmm. It's in the same list. Do not grumble as some of, as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. 
These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. I like that old, old King James says, take heed while you think you stand, lest you fall. That's a, that's a good admonition. It's healthy for us to be aware of that. Now momentarily we see Moses die. Um, well, before I say that, <clears throat> just before we actually arrive at, at Joshua, you come to the final book before Joshua, written by Moses, which is Deuteronomy, right? And in Deuteronomy 10, verse 12, it says, And now, Israel, <clears throat> what does the Lord your God ask of you? And this is in reference to the fact that they were sinning, and he's now warning this new generation not to go the way of the older generation. He says, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. Now, in contrast to the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant is what they call a bilateral covenant. That means it's a conditional covenant. Not unconditional. That is, there's your part to play. God's got his part, you've got your part. If you don't do your part, then there's a problem. If I don't do my part, there's a problem. <clears throat> so that's what we're seeing the repercussions of. Now, but you can see that God wants to do us good, and it does us good when we walk in his way. Now, momentarily, we're going to see Moses die, yet the word of the Lord will continue, right? It will continue to stand. The man passes away, and we've seen that consistently the man dies but the spirit lives on that's negative that's positively as well as negatively you know what i mean the the big battle is between god and the devil isn't it and we're kind of caught up in the fray <laughs> we get involved now now deuteronomy is, is moses repeating to this new generation that which he said to the you know De deuteronomy is due means to and nomos means law so it's the second time he's given them the law that's deuteronomy the hope is that this new group won't copy the actions of the first if they do the implications are terrifying and I, I, I'll just skip this next section. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 28. You know, 27 and 28, 28 and 29. They've got the blessings and the curses um, for not keeping the law. Now, <clears throat> now, 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 in here, I think I'll just maybe just highlight it. Will it come up? No. Yeah, in Deuteronomy 28, um, you basically see all of the, so all of the covenants. You see three of the covenants, the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, and you see echoes of the Adamic covenant. So in Deuteronomy 28, you hear him talk about the words of this law, talking about plagues or curses, um, in, in, and, and that's in the Mosaic covenant. And in the Abrahamic covenant, you see the thing about descending like stars, I think it's verse 62, um, you who were as numerous as the stars of the sky. You see, again, that's a reference back to the Abrahamic covenant and the land and then echoes of the Adamic covenant. Do you remember in, in, in Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they got kicked out of the garden? In, in, in verse 64, it says, then the Lord will scatter you among all the nations, scatter you. There's a, there's a movement, right? There's a kicking out, if you like. And the same thing that happened in Eden is recapitulated. And the same thing that happened even in Babel when the people were scattered, that's God's judgment. But this is God speaking to his people. It's really, really quite scary. So <clears throat> what's going to be the fate of this new generation? Well, four things. 
four things. Um, <clears throat> and we're going to look at this under, under a few headings. So Joshua is God's new leader. And we're going to see it's actually God um, leading his leaders. Two, Joshua listens um, carefully to God's words. We're going to hear God speaking. Number three, Joshua is the man of war. But actually, God is the one who's going to be fighting for his people. And then number four, um, Joshua inherits the land. We feel like God fulfills his promise with reference to the land. So the first one, Joshua, um, God's new leader. Um, <clears throat> how many of you know Joshua's got big boots to fill? You know, so who wants to take over from Moses? I mean, but he's been with Moses for quite some time. And he's been learning the ropes in it, a bit like Paul and Timothy. And um, Joshua 1, verse 1 to 11 um, says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the river Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. One of the first things I look at when I see this, it's like legacy. Like for us as individuals, I remember when I probably first met Tony, I was, gosh, I was in my 30s. You know what I mean? And like young buck. I mean, I wasn't even young. 30 ain't even young. And those of you in your 30s are saying, what are you talking about? 30s young. You know what I mean? But like when I was, when I was you know, kind of like that age, God is good because he put us in an environment where... We were surrounded by individuals who were really given to discipleship. So we learned quite quickly, work yourself out of a job. You know what I mean? Don't, if you notice, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't wait until you're 60 to start thinking legacy. That's too late. You know what I'm saying? We want to be thinking about that. Like, you guys who are in your 20s and your 30s, start thinking about way beyond even the next five, you know, our, our culture, we, we don't think past lunch. You know what I'm saying? We, like, think legacy because in that way you will actually um, allow your life to count in extraordinarily more substantial ways than if you wait. It's like, and the thing is our culture, our, and, and when I say our culture, I'm not just talking about black Jamaican or Caribbean, you know what I'm saying, or African. I'm talking about, you see the cult, because you know when you're on the bus sometimes, you hear some kids talking behind you. Can you tell if they're black, white, Asian? They, the way they, I'm talking about our culture, you know what I'm saying, in terms of over the past 20, 30 years, we know South London culture. You know what I mean? It's like one of the things that we are not good at, you know what I'm saying, is one, thinking about the future, and two, thinking about others. We need to do both. And what we see here is, is, is God preparing Joshua in a wonderful way. So when, and, and, and the Lord's deep, in it? It's like, the Lord's like, boy, Moses, my servant, I love him. Boy, Moses, heavy, like, but he's dead. But you know what, Joshua, we're going to keep it moving. And we need to think in those terms, otherwise... Whatever we want to class as a movement, you know what I'm saying, whether it, whether it be your business or, it, you know what I'm saying, be your personal legacy or it be us as a church. You know what I mean? We are not going to get very far into the next generation if we don't think in this fashion. And, and here we see um, a reminder of the Abrahamic covenant. Hey, Jude, what's going on, bro? 
Here we see um, a reminder of the Abrahamic covenant because he's talking about the land. The Lord's measuring it out and it's like, it's, it's like the Lord ain't forgot the promise that he made to Abraham hundreds of years ago. And the Lord's, and his promises, they, um, they, I can't think of the word, but they extend beyond the lifetime of one man or woman. I'm saying we need to think this way. And I'm saying number two, we see, <clears throat> we see that Joshua listens carefully to God. So the Lord is speaking to him. Unlike the previous generation that he's from, who weren't really listening. Can we turn the heating down a bit? It's so hot in here. Whee. Or is it me? It's okay. <laughs> uh, wow. I've got my own personal, what do they call a climate control right up here at the front. Wow. I need to, I need to turn it down. Whee. Where's that water? So, so Joshua is God's new leader. And God is graciously leading him. How many of you know if, if yeah, people say if, if someone ain't following you, you ain't a leader. You know what I'm saying? Or you are a leader if people are following you. Um, but what we see here is a beautiful pattern of God leading Joshua in a wonderful way. And um, we can see that he's a great individual to lead, to follow because he's being led by God. Um, number two, Joshua listens carefully to God's words. I'm trying to give, I was trying to give us a break there, but I realize I'm, giving you a, I'm not giving myself a break because I'm still talking. So number two, Joshua listens carefully to God's words <clears throat> as God is speaking. Um, verse five of chapter one says, God says, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Wow. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. How comforting is that? Because uh, he remembers what happened back in Egypt. And I'm saying with Pharaoh. I mean, is there anyone bigger and badder than Pharaoh? I mean, and, and Joshua is getting ready to face, you know what I'm saying, a hideous enemy currently. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. On that basis... And I'm saying verse six now makes sense. Therefore, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. It's like, Joshua, I've got a promise I'm out here trying to fulfill, you know, bro. Okay, just get with it. Verse seven, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. You see, Joshua needs to listen carefully not only to what God is saying here, but also what God has already said. And that's good for us. You know what I'm saying? It's like we're here. And notice, I was going to say, you guys are hearing me speak. I'm hearing me speak because it's not my words, right? These are God's words. And we hear God's word now, and we want to hold on to that. And I'm saying, that is, He's faithful. That is, He keeps His promises. He will never leave you nor forsake you. We want to hear, you know what I'm saying? But also, we want to hear what He's saying now, but we want to also listen to what He's already said. Just like Joshua. God says, For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And in in one sense, maybe I didn't read it in the way that I should have, but where am I? What verse am I on? Oh, I did. Oh, it's all right. Good. So, (laughs) 
Be strong and courageous. Be careful to do all the law of who? My servant Moses, right? Which is the Mosaic law or the Mosaic covenant. So a little while ago at the beginning of Joshua, we saw the Abrahamic covenant measuring out the land. Now we're here in the Mosaic covenant. Remember I showed you the picture. All the covenants are running concurrently all at the same time. He goes on, he says, look, do not turn, in terms of listening carefully, do not turn from it, that is the law, right, that Moses gave you. Do not turn from it um, to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go, because it's a bilateral covenant. You've got your part to keep in this. Keep this book of the law always, not in your pocket, on your phone, or on the shelf at home. Keep it always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. In a sense, God is quite excited, you know what I'm saying, because they're on the brink of inheriting this promise. Verse 10, so Joshua ordered, look, Joshua doesn't, doesn't hesitate. Joshua, verse 10, ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is given to you. Or is the Lord, the Lord, the Lord God, <laughs> your, <laughs> the Lord your God is given you for your own. I've got another translation in my mind. What can I say? I'm like, wait a minute. <clears throat> a question that we've been asking, as I mentioned earlier, since Genesis 3.15, regarding the serpent crusher, the savior. Well, it wasn't Adam. It wasn't Abel or Seth or Noah, who meant rest. Was he the one? As we saw a minute ago, it wasn't Moses. Could it be this man? Yoshua. Could this new leader be the anticipated one to come whose name is the same as Jesus, as Yeshua? Notice, <clears throat> God gives his new man great encouragement and he's going to need it. Mo Moses is a hard act to follow. Listen to what God says. He says five things. He says, <clears throat> the time is overdue to possess the land of promise. Here we go, let me just list them quickly. The time is overdue to possess the land of promise in verse 2. God is faithful and committed to seeing his promises fulfilled. Number 2, God promises to be with Joshua in verse 5 and verse 9. And what does that remind you of? God promising to be with his people. When was the first time God was with his people? In Eden. God with his people. And that, and that relationship got frustrated. But God's committed to restoring that relationship, isn't he? And the relationship got frustrated. And God's command to Adam and Eve was to subdue and have dominion. Remember? But that got frustrated. But look, we can see that this promise or this commitment, for at least from God's point of view, is, 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 on, the, is on the cusp of being fulfilled where God's people, Israel, are with God, God is with his people, about to go into the promised land, and they're about to go and subdue and have dominion. And God's with them like, like, like he was with Enoch. 
And more recently in the tabernacle, remember the tent of meeting where God met with his people? Number three, God commands obedience in verse seven and eight. Again, as we saw last time, the law comes, this is beautiful, after the establishing of relationship. Don't miss that. The Mosaic law came after Israel were delivered. God didn't say, look, all right, I'm going to set you free, deliver you out of Egypt, but wait a minute, let me just give you my law and see if you're going to keep it. Then I'll decide whether I'm going to deliver you or not. He doesn't do that. God delivers them. Then he gives them his law, right? Adam and Eve. How many of you know they had blessings before they had the boundaries? People be like, oh, Christianity, man, is so restrictive. Can't do this, can't do that. Sorry? Where'd you get that from? Look in the garden. What? Like, who does God think he is telling them that they couldn't eat from the tree? But that's, that's messed up because how about the multiplicity of the trees they could eat from? Eat from the grape trees, the mango tree, eat from the coconut. You know what I'm saying? Eat from them. Like, all of the trees you could eat from, there's one you could. Now, which way round is it? You know what I'm saying? God gave them incredible blessings, but then just one boundary. Let's not get it twisted. You know what I'm saying? The blessings come before the boundaries if you're God's people. Number, five, number four, God expects strength and courage as well as commanding obedience. Strength and courage, which anticipates, this is encouraging, <laughs> because if God is asking Joshua to be strong and of great courage, where's Joshua going to get that strength and courage from apart from God himself? So it's like in it there's a promise, you know I'm saying, of that very thing that God is expecting. Can you see that? I'm saying based upon God's goodness and his sovereignty, he's going to grant Joshua what he needs. And then number five, God promises success. It's not long afterwards that we see... Um, we're going to see God fulfill this very promise to Joshua. In chapter 2, Joshua sends scouts again. And he has like a 40-year throwback, right? So he doesn't send 12. He only sends two this time. And um, they meet Rahab, who's a Gentile prostitute. who sh She then expresses faith in Yahweh. And uh, God is saving Gentiles even before the New Testament, right? <clears throat> and, in, and then in chapter 3, they cross over the River Jordan into the land of Canaan. In chapter 5, the whole new generation is circumcised as they keep the Passover. So, Joshua listens carefully to God and responds immediately, doesn't he? Number three, two more. Joshua, the man of war. And you can see my subheading is that God actually is the one who's fighting for his people. In chapter six, Jericho is captured and leveled. And not before Rahab and her family are rescued. And in chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, Israel, they go on the rampage, conquering city after city, king after king, thus fulfilling a twofold purpose. One, fulfilling God's promise to Abraham. And in two, we see God's righteous judgment on these sinful nations. Joshua and his army are valiantly engaging in battle, but who is ultimately doing the fighting? It's God. In Deuteronomy 9, verse 1 to 6, it says, Here, Israel, you are now about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you, with large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall, Anakites. You know about them and have heard it said, Who can stand up against the Anakites? But 
Be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you and you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly as the Lord has promised you. Who's fighting? The Lord is. Verse 4. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourselves, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. You know what I'm saying? Don't start taking the glory for yourself. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. One, it's not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going in to take possession of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations and the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he also, number two, swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's like, can you see the bigger picture here? It's not even just God blessing his people according to the promise given to Abraham. God is also dealing with these sinful nations. And people, again, have problems with this. Oh, this is ethnic cleansing. Look at the God of the Old Testament. It's like, like if, 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 if this is, is, is um, unacceptable, like what would you say about God judging the world eventually? This, this, does, this is nothing compared to what is going to happen when God eventually judges the whole world. You know what I mean? And I suppose if you've got a problem with God's ju coming judgment, then you have a problem with God's previous and prior judgment. I think the issue, the issue isn't one of contradiction. Far from it. Um, the point is God has a right to judge. So it's not because of your righteousness, God says, and, 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 and it's because of the wickedness of these nations, but also to fulfill this promise to Abraham. Verse 6, understand then that it's not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, <laughs> for you are a stiff-necked people. <laughs> wow, there's not much I could say about that. The truth of the matter is, <clears throat> it's not just these rebellious Gentile nations that experience judgment. Um, God would judge his own people in the same way if they become rebellious. And he did a whole generation in the wilderness a minute ago. And God would judge his people later on in history. If you know anything about where we're going, Assyria, Babylon, by the rivers of Babylon, where we sat down, there we wept when we remembered. That's because God will... <laughs> we'll get there when we get there, right? He also... The God, God also judged the world by a flood we saw a few weeks ago, and he would, he would do it again by fire. My point is, God is a man of war when he needs to be. And, 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 uh, and, but in the New Testament, we have this continuity and discontinuity. That's why I mentioned it earlier, so hopefully it will make sense now. God will continue to judge, but unlike here in Joshua, not through his people directly. So... <clears throat> I mentioned the coming judgment. How many of you know, during the time in which we're now living, it's not our right to go judge Muslims? It's like, like the, the way that the, 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 the Israel judged these ungodly nations here. So there's, there's a discontinuity. Can you see that? But at the same time, there's a continuity because we still have to battle. But it's just now that the, the battle we fight, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. That's who we battle against. And do you know a big part of the battle, 2 Corinthians 10, I believe? A big part of the battle is actually in our minds. What does it say there? It says, casting down imaginations. 
and every vain thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. Apart, apart from me battling against principalities and powers, and that needs nuancing, right? Because it's not shouting at demons. That's not battling them, right? But apart from that, we got our own battle internally that we've got to be fighting. Anybody identify with that? Thoughts that come up in our mind that are not godly, that we wrestle with. Sometimes walking down the street, you think you're a madman. Sometimes I've got to put on my headphones, act like I'm, like I'm singing or, or talking to someone on the phone. This time I'm, I'm, I'm praying, Lord God, this is a madness. Get on the train, you know what I'm saying? See some things, that, like especially in the summertime, a man's eyes ain't supposed to behold. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh. And I'm just saying, if you, if you know anything about the real battle, so there's a battle that continues, but there's a continuity, there's a discontinuity. Romans chapter 12, um, I'll just read it. My, my hours nearly up. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, Romans 12, verse 17, right? Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to eat. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. It's a different type of battle, right? Um, but we do wage war, and you see a hint of it in verse 21. All right, I've got a picture of my man there, right? It's the art of fighting without fighting. Um, Ephesians 6 says, finally, ah, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, just remember Joshua 1. You know what I'm saying? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against, as I said, um, spiritual forces. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the, evil day, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist with a breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace verse 16 in addition to all this take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Like Joshua 1, don't be scared. Don't be fearful. Be strong and courageous. Can you hear? It's that same battle talk type language. Thank you. Can you see that? Because we're still in the same battle, but there's a continuity and a discontinuity. It says, for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it how fearlessly as I should. Can you see the correlation? Well, going back as we get ready to conclude. Um, chapter 1 through 13 of Joshua, they conquer the land. Like in seven years. And, in, and then in chapter, I should put it up. And then in chapter... Chapter 14 to 24, this is pretty much the structure of the book of Joshua. And I'm saying they subdivide the land in eight years. So they conquer it in seven, subdivide it in eight. It's like 
That's, that's, like less, that's, that's, that's like less than a third of the time that they were traveling around in the wilderness. And then number four, <clears throat> Joshua was a man of war. Now Joshua inherits the land and we see God fulfill his purposes. So in Joshua 21, um, as I just mentioned, we see them possess the land. So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors and they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he sworn to their ancestors, not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. Not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. You know what I'm saying? It's beautiful. Which You just need to be able to see the big picture. You know what I'm saying? It helps you during those difficult times. Um, and, and this feeds into the big picture because look. That's Joshua. Listen to Hebrews 4, Old Testament, New Testament, but it's all one story. Hebrews 4 says, for if Joshua had given them rest, which he did, right? God would not have spoken later about another day. So the rest that Joshua gave them was only temporary because they got, they got mad drama coming in a little while. And it says, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their own works, just as God did from his. See, Hebrews goes back to Genesis as it refers to Joshua. So you can see the writer of Hebrews sees the whole Bible as one story, because he refers to both, he, both Genesis and... And who is the Bible all about? If it's one big story, who's the main character? It's Jesus, right? This helps us to see that... That this book, although featuring Joshua, is actually starring Yeshua. Remember, the name means God, our Savior. We just saw God saving his people, right? Now watch. Matthew 1 says, The virgin will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, for he will save his people from their sins. So Joshua is the one who fought bravely for his people, Jesus is the one who fought even more bravely on our behalf, defeating our arch enemy, not the Amalekites, you know what I'm saying? Or the, or the Amalek, uh, the, or the ites. <laughs> <laughs> he Jesus, Jesus defeats the devil, who's, who, who's the ultimate enemy, right? Joshua was the leader of the Israelites into the promised land of Canaan, but Jesus is our leader into the promised land of heaven. Can you see that the whole Bible is about Jesus? And unlike you and me, um, God is continually faithful. Right? We're continually unfaithful. We're covenant compromisers. We are promise breakers. Um, but God is continually faithful. Can you see him fulfilling his promises? Not just on a natural human level, but, um, which, is, which would have been incredible. But also on a supernatural level in the highest dimension. Let me pray. Father, thank you. A few weeks ago we heard you make a promise to Abraham. Yet Abraham died and then Isaac, his son, lived and died. And then Jacob, his, his, his grandson, lived and died. And 400 years Israel were in Egypt. And it, and it could have seemed like, oh my gosh, God is unfaithful. He's not kept his promise. Um but you watched over your word to perform it, and you did. And we're thankful because this shows us, Lord, that just because you don't come through for us, quote unquote, when we desire, 
when we determine doesn't mean that you're unfaithful. Lord, you're the one who determines times and seasons. Would you help us, Lord, to recognize, Lord, your sovereignty in that sense and then recognize, Lord, our, 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 Or it's not futility. What's the word? We're finite. That's what we need to remember, Lord. And I pray, Father, that as Joshua trusted you in the face of difficult, challenging circumstances, Lord, he was, he was quick to listen to you. He was willing to let you lead him as a leader. You gave him great courage. And Father, he took your word and he believed it and he immediately exercised faith and obedience. And Lord, he was able to, Lord, in the face of seeing his, 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 his father in the faith die, pass away. Lord, he had to take the baton and he had to keep running, possibly with tears in his eyes, Lord, and heartbroken for a season. But you helped, you helped him to remain faithful. Lord, would you help us? Thank you that Jesus is the one who's delivered us in this great battle. And he gives us a baton to run with. He gives us a battle to, to, gives us a baton to run with and a battle to fight. And Father, the, the, the real fight, the war that we wage is a spiritual one. And, it, and, and, and fundamental to that battle is the gospel. Lord, we, we've received it and have been changed by it, but we need to share it with others. Help us to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Because as we share that gospel, Father, we're licking down walls like Jericho. Lord, those who are imprisoned and are chained and are bound, the gospel sets them free, sets us free. And that's the real battle, Lord. Help us to engage in that battle and not be distracted by other things. Lord, the servant of the Lord, the soldier in the army of the Lord doesn't get mixed up in civilian affairs. doesn't mean we don't give ourselves the things, our attention to things that are important. But Lord, we give ourselves to those things that are more important. Please, would you help us as we trust you to fulfill your promise. Lord, not just to get us into the promised land, but to get us to heaven safely and by your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.